0: Once again, it is a privilege to be part of this series and I am most grateful to uh, this church and your commitment uh, to the preaching of the word and the support of the preaching of the word. And we pray that as we look to our Savior's passion and his sacrifice on our behalf, that we would be strengthened and be reminded of God's grace as it is located in Christ And as we indicated on yesterday, I want to focus uh, on the the physical nature of that uh, gospel gift uh, in the the body and the person of, of Jesus Christ. So I am most grateful to be here, and we do thank you for... You're uh, continuing in the series and uh, bringing the message, the true message of the gospel of grace, not only in your ordinary service, but in this extraordinary service. So everyone who has participated, God bless you. Let's ask God's blessings on our time. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for another opportunity gather in your name. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We pray that as your word goes forth, that you would give your people ears to hear and a heart to receive your truth and that we would be strengthened by it. We thank you for this season of prayer. We thank you for this season of fellowship. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to, in light of our hymn, um, but I want to walk through a few passages in the Gospel of Luke that uh, undergirds what we have uh, talked about yesterday and the word being made flesh. And here we want to look at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, but I want to walk through that and there are a few statements both in chapter 3 and chapter uh, 4 that uh, culminate in what we are talking about in in terms of the physical gift of Jesus and that is the gospel itself corresponding to the failures and the frailty of our human nature. The first uh, statement that I'd like to look at is actually in the genealogy of Jesus. There are two things in the genealogy of Jesus that, that are very helpful for us in terms of understanding this gospel message. The first one is in verse uh, 34. In verse 34 in the genealogy of Jesus, it links Jesus to Abraham. And it's important for us to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. He is There is a genetic link Abraham. Abraham is the one that is called the father of the faithful. And what God does is he gives him a promise of a son. He promises him a seed. And most of us, uh, until we get to the New Testament, most of us think that the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham was Isaac. And Isaac certainly is is, is, is part of it. But Paul tells us in Galatians that the seed that God promised to Abraham ultimately is not Isaac. Isaac certainly is a gateway to the fulfillment and the keeping of that promise. But ultimately, he tells us that the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus. So Jesus is the genetic link. It is important for him to become flesh and blood, because the promise that God made to Abraham was a flesh and blood son. It wasn't wasn't one that would be adopted, It it would be one that would come from the loins of Abraham, either immediate or extended. So we see in the first place there is a genetic link to Abraham. And that's important because the keeping of God's promise, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, that all of the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus. So Jesus in his incarnation, his birth, is a matter of God keeping his promise to Abraham. Because the promise was of a seed. And ultimately, as Paul tells us, again from Galatians, that that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. But also we see in in Luke chapter uh, uh, 3 and verse 38 that Luke makes a connection in the genealogy of Jesus to Adam. (laughs) now he granted this is 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 his genealogy according to joseph uh, and joseph though, although he was not the natural father of jesus but in his genealogy there is in in, in the genealogy that luke gives us he connects jesus all Ultimately, to Adam. Now perhaps we could say that uh, maybe there isn't the same sort of genetic connection to Adam as there is to Abraham because he would be connected to Abraham both on, on, on Mary as well as, uh, as, as the side of Joseph. But why Adam? And the connection to Adam is given to us just before his, his encounter with Satan in the wilderness. I would suggest that the reason for the connection to Adam is because of the federal link of Jesus. By federal link, what we mean is that Jesus is a federal representative. He is our federal head in the same way that Adam was a federal head. All of humanity is represented initially in Adam. Adam doesn't just give us an example, Adam is our representative, and what we mean by federal representative is that the actions of many are tied to the actions of one and the actions of one corresponds and has consequences on the many that he represents. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans addresses this as well as in 1 Corinthians 15. He addresses this quite profoundly. And it's interesting that Paul uses two phrases that I find very interesting. He first off calls Jesus the second man. The second man. And he indicates that all of humanity is identified either in the first man, Adam, or the second man, Jesus. Now I can't do the math and don't know all of the names, but if you just look at the years and the names of men that exist between the creation of Adam and the birth of Jesus, I guarantee you'll come away with more than two. But in the eyes of God, there are only two that matter. The two that matter is the first Adam, because that's another phrase that that Paul uses. He speaks of the first Adam and the last Adam. So he speaks of the first man being the first Adam, and he speaks of Jesus as being the second man and the last Adam. The reason for that is because their actions, their deeds are not just personal, but they're public. Public in the sense that the actions of Adam correspond or they they have consequences for everyone that he represents. So historically, in theology, when we speak of original sin, we're not just speaking of the first sin that is committed. But in original sin, what we are I, what we are, are doing is is understanding that the first the, the, the consequences and the effects of the first sin is because when, when Adam sinned, the consequences are felt by all of those who come after him, in so much so that as the Puritans used to say, that when Adam sinned, it is as if you and I were with him and in him sinning. So therefore, the consequences reach all of us. Adam is not just a negative example not to be followed. Adam sinned in our place. And so what, and I know we all think that we are smarter than Adam, and if we were there, what we would have done, well, according to the scriptures, you were there. You were with and in Adam in a broad way, so that Adam's actions and Adam's deeds are your deeds. So, therefore, when he falls from his state of innocence, we have inherited his corruption. And so, Jesus is presented here in his genealogy as being connected to Adam, not just genetically. But he is a federal representative and Paul's logic in the book of Romans is that just as sin came into the world by one man and all became guilty because of the actions of one man, also by one man all would be redeemed. Everyone who was found in Christ will be associated with the righteousness that is that is his, that he has earned. So we see these, we see the first genetic link in, in, in verse 34 in that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and he is not only the fulfillment of that promise but he is also the fulfillment of the seed promise in Genesis 3.15. Jesus, there is a a federal link, because Jesus is the second Adam, or the, the last Adam, and he is the second man. Paul's idea in Romans is that we all sin in the first man, and if there's any hope and if there's any life, it will be as we are found in the second man. But the third link that I want to look at here is not just the federal headship of Christ, which is important as we move towards the temptation itself. But, but when we look in chapter 3, verse 20 21, we are told that in the baptism of Jesus, there are verses 21 and 22, there are two things that take place. In the first place, the Father approves and affirms Jesus. He affirms him in his flesh, in his body. He affirms, this is my beloved son. And not only does he affirm him, but he also approves him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now this, this, has, this, this has consequences for us if we are in Christ. It's, it's good. These are good consequences because the pleasure of the Father is in the Son. And if we are in the Son, then we possess the pleasure of the Father sometimes we have a tendency especially as we talk about looking at Jesus solely as role model we have a tendency to think that we can somehow earn the pleasure of the father of our own accord or sometimes we are so racked by guilt that we assume that the father would never receive us And it's for this reason, it's at this point, that we should look to the Son and know that the pleasure of the Father is upon the Son. And if you are in the Son, then the Father's pleasure is in you. And brothers and sisters, that's good news. Because if you really take inventory of your ability to do the will of God, if you think you have done it, you're deceived. And if you recognize that you haven't done it, then you may be depressed. And so many people are on and off the treadmill of trying to earn God's pleasure and God's favor. But the favor of the Father is upon the Son. And there is never a time when the Father is not pleased with the Son. And so if we are in the Son... And the pleasure of the Father is upon us. Now here's what we'll say, but, but wait a minute. What about our sins? Our sins, the Father has judged our sins in the Son. And here's what he does. He, he does chasten us. He, he does. He chastens those that belong to him. But the reason he chastens is because he loves. And the reason he eternally loves those who are in the Son is because we're in the Son. The pleasure of the Father is upon his son and so if we are in the son then the pleasure of the father is upon us if you have been overtaken in seasons of sin and you think that your sin is so is so egregious that it's no way that God could love you because you have a hard time loving you I know what people say, is you, as long as you can forgive yourself, as long, and, and, and that you'll say, well, you know, we, we, people have a hard time learning to forgive themselves. No, here's what we have a hard time with. We have a hard time accepting the fact that the Father has truly forgiven us don't. I know we would say that we don't know how to love ourselves. Here's our difficulty as fallen creatures. We have a hard time knowing and thinking that anyone could forgive us to the degree that the Bible says we are forgiven. And to love us to such an extent that God truly loves us. So here's what we've seen. That the father in the son has fulfilled his promise to both Abraham and to the woman. He has given us this son. And so Abraham's, the, the promise to Abraham was not in Isaac. It was in Jesus. And here's what we've seen. That Jesus is connected Federally, in the same way he is connected to us as Adam was. And so we see in his genealogy a connection to Adam because there is a federal link here. But in that federal link, just like the disfavor of the father came upon all of, of, of the offspring of Adam because of the failure of Adam, God has given us another Adam in whom his pleasure is met. Therefore, the pleasure of the Father is in the last Adam. And if we are in the last Adam, then his pleasure is upon us. Know that the Father loves you and he loves you everlastingly. Know that the Father always sees you through the righteousness of his son. Here's a fourth and final area that I want to consider and we'll see specifically in uh, Luke chapter 4 verse 1. Here's what we're told that then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness now it's here that we get the backdrop from, for, for Lent and we see Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days. But, and we're told that he is led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. But we're also, here's what we get, as, especially the way Mark describes it, is that Jesus is driven into the wilderness for the temptation. In other words, he is driven by the Spirit for a face-to-face encounter with Satan. Here he is in his flesh. Flesh that has been satisfactory to the Father. Flesh that has already been everything that a human being is supposed to be. And because he is our federal head... The first thing that Jesus does is he goes back to the playground where our forefather Adam was bullied by the serpent. Gave up his lunch money, as they would say in my neighborhood where I went to school, that, that the bully took his lunch money. And here comes the last Adam to the playground. Interestingly enough, that Adam was tempted by the serpent in a garden, in a paradise, and then it turned into a wilderness. The second Adam comes into the wilderness to restore and reclaim the playground, and when he comes in his final advent, he will come and turn the wilderness back into a paradise. But there's a little unfinished business that takes place in the wilderness. I won't go into all of the details of the temptation, but there's unfinished business. Because brothers and sisters, God created us flesh and blood so that we would be able to step up and speak up against the evil one. So that in our flesh and blood, we would be able to approve the things of God. And we would recognize and resist anything that is contrary to the word and will of God. But we failed. Adam failed. And we, and because of Adam's failure, we are born in a condition where we will always fail against our enemy. How many of us made resolutions this year? And how many of us kept them? Well, that's... And don't... Please, don't raise your hands. And the reason is, brothers and sisters, if we can't resist chocolate, if we can't resist extra servings of dessert, then we are, we have no chance against the prince of darkness. But here's what the incarnation is all about. Jesus has come in the flesh And he is the promise that God gave to Abraham. And he's a new federal head. And as the federal head, he has been approved and affirmed by the Father. And he has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he goes to our place of defeat. And he looks for the one who defeated us. And he is victorious. Brothers and sisters, I know that many of us have heard the temptation of Jesus presented as what we are to do when we face him. And there is a secondary sense in which we should learn how to resist the, tip, the, uh, resist the evil one through our uh, clinging to the word of God. Even as Jesus defeated Satan continuously by referring to the word of God. But this temptation is not given to us first and foremost As a blueprint for us to follow, this temptation is recorded to us first and foremost so that we could see in the victory of Jesus our own victory. You see, He was victorious for us. And since we are in Him, then His victory is our victory. That's why the writer could tell us that that greater is he who is in you than he is who is in the world. That's why we can resist. We can resist because Satan has been defeated by our Savior. And here's what I love about this. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He is the one who will judge Satan and all of the workers of iniquity for for, for all eternity. But he does not come to face Satan in the wilderness as his judge. He faces Satan in the wilderness as the image bearer of God. And you know why? Because what Jesus did... what Adam should have done and what Jesus did is what we can't do and that is resist the evil one so Jesus goes into the wilderness filled with the spirit driven by the spirit and he goes to the bully that took our lunch money and he takes our lunch money back And he gives it to us and says, now you are free. And that's the way he explains his miracles. He says, when a strong man owns everything in the house, then everything is well kept. But when a stronger man has come along, then he takes all of the loot that belonged to the strong man. Brothers and sisters, we're no longer bound. We've been set free If we are in Jesus. So our flesh is failing. But Jesus in the likeness of our flesh. Stood up to Satan. And we are his fruit. Thank God for Jesus. Don't get afraid of all of the the demon possessed movies. And I know people think they're demons. Under Wherever they are. They've been defeated. Because Jesus is our champion. And as the author and finisher of our faith, then we are to look unto Jesus in his flesh. And his victory is our victory. And even though we stumble and we fall, the Father, his pleasure is upon you. And our victory is sure over the evil one. Let's pray. Gracious, holy, and wise God, our Father, we come to you in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come to you with bodies that are frail and failing, We come to you recognizing that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And the shame of our guilt would often cause us to think that somehow we are no longer your children. But we thank you for Jesus, who as our federal head... Has met with your full approval, and your pleasure upon him is your approval of us. Therefore we pray that we would be strengthened to turn from those things for which Christ has died, and that we would live in the knowledge that he has resisted our enemy. So we pray that as your people we would stand firm, not only in the liberty with which Christ has set us free, but that we would be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Thank you for this word. Thank you for our Savior. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.